Have you been feeling stuck, exhausted, and finding yourself living as a passenger in your own life? By giving away so much of your energy and power to everyone and everything around you. But you? Well, you are not alone. My name is Dr. Valérie Johnston Dugama, osteopath, and I have been there too. After being burned out, exhausted, I decided to take control of my life and get back into my driver's seat. It wasn't easy though, but I did it. And you can do it too. In this podcast, I will share stories, invite guest speakers, and provide insight and tips on how to turn your life around and move back into your driver's seat. My guest today grew up with an identical twin sister. How exciting. They share everything together. Her sister has suffered severe mental health for many years. She said that she was also struggling with mental health time to time, but kept herself on track. Naturally, as she was growing up, she has a lot of fear of being like her sister, especially as an identical twin sister. Over the years, she explored different modalities to keep herself well, such as neuroscience, unconscious behavior and habit, to name a few. She is currently studying positive psychology and permaculture. In our conversation today, it's about how to take charge of your own mental health. Thank you and welcome Shower and Wheels to the Driver's Seat Club. Thank you, Valerie. Happy to be here. Like everyone, I had some difficulties in my upbringing, I guess in part due to my parents also having difficult upbringing. So my dad was born in rural New South Wales in the north uh, in a farming community. Unfortunately, when he was one year old, his mother left him and his siblings and his father behind. I guess she could just no longer cope, apparently. As a result, my dad was um, shuffled around to various foster homes and neighbours or relatives and didn't really have a steady home. Him and his two siblings were separated as well. Difficult upbringing. And then my mother, um, she was born in the southern rural farming area in New South Wales as well, also had a very difficult life. She was by far the youngest she was crippled for two years as a child as a result of a surgery gone wrong. And she was also um, sexually abused as a child. Had a very difficult life and hence was an intensely private person. She was Catholic and God-fearing, but she withdrew into herself and alcohol. So she was an alcoholic pretty much um, all of her life and smoked cigarettes. For 22 years, they stayed together, had four girls. They did separate when I was nine. But when I, well, I guess, you know, about a month before I was born, my mother found out that she wasn't having one baby. She was having two. That's beautiful. Yeah. So before ultrasounds were the norm, she found out quite late and she furiously started knitting, you know, the double um, bedding and all the rest of it. Yes. So I grew up uh, an identical twin and we were very alike. So we shared a bedroom, had little matching blue beds that my father had made. 
shared all our friendships outside of school, pretty much had the same life together. And people used to mistake us all the time. I remember um, one girl when we were 10 years old at school and this girl said to us, now, do you ever wake up in the morning and say to yourself, am I Michelle or am I Sharon? (laughs) Pretty sure I'm Sharon, actually, but... (laughs) So, um, yeah, it was just kind of funny there. But we used to swap classes and later on we swapped boyfriends and, you know, all the things twins do, I guess. Unfortunately, my sister, since the age of about 18, has suffered quite severe mental illnesses. And uh, what happened? Do you know why? You know, she moved out of home when she was still at school in year 11 and she had a difficult time of that. She also smoked marijuana, as did I at that age. But I do feel that the marijuana was a trigger for my sister. Um, So once after she became ill, I kind of stayed away from it because it just, um, marijuana that is. So it just seemed that every time she took it, that she'd end up unwell and, you know, sometimes hospitalized. Wow. Suffering psychosis. She's had several diagnoses as well. So it was too big a risk for me. I guess I suffered a lot of fear from being so alike that I might, you know, suffer the same fate in terms of mental illnesses. I also suffered quite a bit of guilt, actually, that she was unwell, but I seemed to be okay. Ah, okay. I do feel that my experience of it was, again, a lot of fear, moving through fear rather than trying to squash it down. Yes. You know, I remember kind of suffering anxiety and just, I guess, allowing it rather than squashing it so or denying it, which I read a book when I was about, I think I was about 20, when I read um, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, a book. Amazing. Yeah, very well-known book, actually, and it's still a great reference today. I think it was written in the 70s or something, but um, it's still around. Feel the fear and do it anyway. I think her name's Suzanne Jeffers. Because you were so close with your sister, did you try to help her, like, for example, refer this book to her or try to find a way that she could get out of that mental health uh, issues that she was experiencing? I did, but... I often found that she didn't really like take my advice. And even to this day, I recommend various tools or things that I've learned about or things that I've found helpful for myself as well. But I leave it at that. I no longer take responsibility for her. I can share what I believe, but I can't force her to do it. Or I guess in the beginning, I used to think that I could talk her around in terms of her misperceptions when she was mentally ill, when she was suffering psychosis. But I now really understand that you can't. It's not helpful to try to talk logic to somebody who's experiencing delusions and hallucinations because they really believe it or they're really seeing or hearing those things. And how did you manage not to get your mental health? Because you did have some anxiety, you did have some stuff going on as well for you. You taking charge, what did it look like for you? I did need to distance myself somewhat from my sister. I felt that if I spent a lot of time with her, it it just increased my own fear of being like her, I guess. So I did kind of move to my own independence. 
I went to university interstate. We had become quite different at that point, but I still, like I was worried about the genetics of mental illness and also having, you know, the same risk factors, the environment that we grew up in that wasn't very healthy. It was very neglectful, actually. It wasn't very loving or supportive at all. So, and given my parents' background, you can understand why, right? They weren't modelled good parenting either. So it's just kind of difficult all around there. But in terms of keeping myself well, I eventually found yoga was very, very helpful. And I still practice that to this day and meditation. What could you find in yoga that was helping you? Well, it just made me feel a lot more calm and safe, I guess, like grounded and yeah, less anxious, but also just physically healthier and more vibrant and okay to be me, if that makes sense. Wow, that makes total sense. And what else did you do? So you said yoga, meditation, what else did you uh, try? Yeah, so I've always been a very social sort of person. And so I found I need to connect with others. That's always been a high priority for me. Getting out in nature, you know, exercise, yeah, being in the forest or in the ocean, those things are so helpful. And, you know, it really comes back to the simple things, right? Keeping the diet as clean as possible. Trying not to drink too much. I used to drink a lot, actually. And I think it was just a more an, an escapist type of behavior. And when you say you used to drink a lot, because drinking a lot for everyone is different, I will have like a glass of wine, uh, maybe two, and I will feel like, okay, that's just my limit. I can't go anymore. So that's for me, drinking a lot is that. What do you mean? <laughs> I guess it went with the socialising and in many circles it's almost expected to drink a lot and I mean probably half a dozen drinks. Ah, okay, yes. Kind of binge drinking, like not drinking every day, maybe twice a week or something, but going out a lot and it's usually associated with going out. So, yeah, I guess it was partly not wanting to be alone. So I was, yeah, had various social circles, keep myself busy. You say that uh, you did the meditation and the yoga and then having a social life, but at the same time, there was the drinking part. So how did you manage to still have the social part by reducing as well the drinking? My boys were really young that I really discovered Uh, yoga and I could do it on what well, was VHS videotape actually and do it at home while they were little and then I started going to studios and retreats and workshops and I did my teacher training in 2006 and I still teach to this day but just on the side though like I still do go out and and drink with friends it is possible to kind of maintain both I try not to overdo that and not very often now but you know for a big birthday party things like that It's not something that I rule out, I, I guess. I'm not very strict with, with anything really in my life. I've been very flexible and I've, you know, lived in different places, different situations, traveled a lot, different jobs, things like that. So, yeah. Wow. And did you at any stage get in contact with your sister? Because they say twins, even though they're far apart, they often do kind of similar things. So did she also do a bit of traveling and did a little things that could help her or you don't know at all? No, she doesn't. I come in touch with my sister each week. We talk on the phone or on Zoom. She has lived a very different life. So she's lived in the same house for over 20 years and um, 
she actually hasn't worked for I think around 15 years now. She's attempting to, although she's done a lot of volunteer work. She's a very passionate environmentalist in particular, but also other charity organisations. She's very much passionate about the earth and sustainability and hoping to get some sort of role in that space. She doesn't travel very much. I think it's very overwhelming for her and she does from time to time, but yeah, not so much for me. And for you, Sharon, what did it mean for you to be able to manage that well and be in charge of your mental health, basically being in the driver's seat? Sure. I think it really helped me um, advance my career and really find, like, just be empowered in terms of making my own choices for my life. It's almost a bit to my perception, a little bit being a victim of what's happening rather than taking charge and taking the reins of life. So I have been able to advance my career. I, I used to be in sales and I used to travel a lot with work and, you know, I did very well at that until I kind of lost heart with that and wanted to do something I was more passionate about. So I, I made the switch about four and a half years ago to start my own business in the wellness space. So I continue to teach yoga and meditation, but also run corporate well-being programs, executive well-being and mental health first aid and mental health awareness, resilience skills programs. That's amazing. So what is your takeaway from all of that, especially when you look at your sister, identical twins and how you went that way and she went another way, you take away from that experience? So I just feel that it's not a given. And even like if you've suffered mental illness at all, which I, you know, around the same age, I did struggle quite a lot. Um, I didn't obviously have the severe experience my sister did, but I just feel that there is an opportunity to take charge and hopefully it can inspire others like to move through fear and to just experience it as a feeling. It doesn't have to stop you. You don't have to kind of continue to live in fear, but also you don't have to squash it or, or deny it as well. When it's there, just allowing it, I feel, is very helpful. Yes, I hear what you're saying and uh, I really understand it. But for example... If people, they're in that mindset and they say, I have the fear and I hear what Sharon is saying, but how do I go through it? Because it can be overwhelming. So what tip could you give to people to go through that? Yeah, I guess the first thing is to acknowledge it and to just understand, yes, I'm afraid. Okay, hello, it's fear. I read a book one time called Letting Go by David Hawkins. It's another resource that I found really helpful. It was really about allowing emotions rather than squashing them, allowing them and feeling it. And then that actually helps to kind of process it and release it. Another technique that I use from time to time still is journaling. And that is just to write it out, just whatever comes. So when a difficult situation like a breakup or a, a trigger by somebody else or being, you know, feeling like you've been unjustly treated and I'm angry or, you know, just difficult things that feel like they could be overwhelming, I felt writing it out can be super, super helpful and, you know, not to censor it at all. It's just for me so I could write anything I wanted and it always helped to give me clarity. So it's not a practice that I do every day. I know a lot of people find a daily practice very helpful as well. It's just something that I do when I feel I need it. 
And do you go back to your diary? Like, do you go back and read what you write or you just write whatever you feel and then forget it until something else come up? Yeah, I keep the books actually. So from very rarely will I look back. I think it's actually the process of writing it that's the most helpful for me. And it is like I get clarity with um, something I could be really confused about, for example, or feeling really hurt or angry about. You know, of course you're feeling like I, I kind of have more self-compassion through the process as well. It's course I'm feeling that way because there's always a reason for our feelings right and just having that self-compassion so not feeling bad for feeling bad if that makes sense yeah that's a good point absolutely yes because people feel ashamed as well to feel bad or uh, to say something and I think as you say it's important the best you can to try to just go for it did you at any stage seek some help I've been to counseling various times and I also found um I think it was called holotropic breathwork very very helpful that was when I was really letting go of the guilt of not being able to help my sister so that took me many years actually to deal with that effectively as well which was really important for my own I guess release in life to be able to pursue what I wanted without feeling guilty that she wasn't having the same I guess advantages that I seemed to in terms of career or success or everything really, um, relationships, etc. So the holotropic breath, it's a very intense breath breathing practice. It's becoming a lot more popular now, but I did it about over 20 years ago, actually. It was super, super helpful. So it's a very intense, fast breathing practice. It kind of puts you in a different state of consciousness and it helps to kind of process things so i'd encourage anyone to explore that if you're interested holotropic breath work or it used to be called rebirthing as well some circles it's called rebirth ah wow that's fascinating so uh what it is for you now where is sharon i'm still doing my corporate training and i'm hoping to get the message out there mainly for people to take responsibility for their own well-being Sometimes people aren't ready to hear that. There's a lot of, I guess, blaming circumstances for the way people feel or when illnesses occur, for example, you know, I know that people don't ever ask for illness. They don't ever intend to bring it on themselves, but there is an opportunity to make lifestyle choices, not just with diet and exercise and those basics, but also emotionally, looking after our emotional and mental health is absolutely imperative for our physical well-being as well. Dr. Bruce Lipton says that stress causes 95% of all disease. So we are more susceptible if we choose to be so stressed all the time. We are more susceptible to picking up any bacteria, viruses, illnesses. It's really investing in our own well-being is an investment, you know, for life really we can invest now or we can invest in medical bills later on <laughs> that's a very good point really it's time and energy and effort and the most important thing to connect with loved ones and I think in other cultures like eastern cultures talk about death a lot more and for westerners it might sound a bit morbid but really I feel like talking about death or having death a bit more not so taboo as it is here it makes you want to live more and really get your priorities right with how how you want to live who you want to be and take your reins yeah absolutely and talking about death i heard that somewhere 
like cannot we call when they said oh when i die i will go to heaven for example and they say why not expressing and enjoying life while you're alive and i'm like oh my god that's a good point why don't you make the most of your life now and be happy and enjoying it and then if you go to heaven so be it that will be a plus Yes, exactly. And um, yeah, I've heard it said that this is heaven. We're in it. Our planet is so beautiful. Everything that we do have, it's just realizing that, becoming aware um, of how beautiful life is and how lucky we are to be here and embracing that. So it seems a natural human instinct to look at the negative and things that are wrong and how we can improve. Whereas, you know, a focus with gratitude on what is right makes more of that. It feels, you know, whatever you focus on becomes like a magnet. So what could you say to end for people who are feeling uh, overwhelmed and they feel like, oh my God, I know you gave a lot of tips and amazing, but one thing, one advice that you could give. You've got this, you can do it. There's nothing that can happen that you can't cope with. It's making the most of this precious life that we have instead of succumbing to fear. So embracing the full experience of life, there's inevitably going to be challenges and that's okay. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Sharon. I really appreciate having you and sharing that story. And it's just so optimistic, inspiring, motivating, and you are definitely on the driver's seat. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Driver's Seat Club. Until next time, have a powerful day.